Hello, folks, and welcome back to another episode of The American Attic, where we deliver dialogue-driven explorations of California history and beyond. Presented by the Sacramento Historical Society and hosted by Eric Swigert, join us as we uncover topics that inspire imagination, inform action, and enrich the present. So who are those in our community that are helping to promote the past? How do we best capture and present the past, and what are some responsibilities that might come with it? In today's episode, we sit down with the executive director of the Sacramento History Museum to discuss a host of topics, ranging from exciting exhibits waiting for you at the museum to the current trends and trials that come with the stewardship of local history. With decades of experience in the nonprofit space, our guest today walks us through highlights of her career, as well as what visitors can expect on a visit to one of the finest collections of history in the Golden State. Whether you're a seasoned history buff or a debutante dipping your toe into the deep end of history, please enjoy this eye-opening discussion with our guest, Executive Director Delta Mello. So again, Delta Mello, thank you for joining us with the American Attic, the Sacramento Historical Society's dedicated podcast. Thank you for taking the time today to talk a little bit about your background in history and the current activity and efforts that you're doing over there at the History Museum. And I was thinking a good place we could start is just, you know, looking at your uh, professional background and how does one, you know, I, with my background in history, I know there's there's a transition that needs to happen from studying it academically to applying it in a workplace. Well, how did that go for you? So I am, I have no history background, uh-huh. uh, except for a few things along the way. I am a museum person, and I have been very fortunate in my career to have worked my entire museum career, which is um, now going on 30 plus years in the Sacramento region. So I started out at the Sacramento Zoo. I was their membership and then marketing and development director. I was there for 17 years. And I stumbled upon that job um, quite by accident. I, When I graduated, I graduated with a degree in communications and a, um, a minor in theater. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to work. I thought I wanted to work into television. I interned in television a little bit and realized that really wasn't what I wanted to do. I got a job with a software company. Um, it was my first job out of college, but I immediately knew I wanted to work in nonprofit mm-hmm. and I wanted to work for a um, theater company. My family, I was raised with theater. My my yeah. parents were involved in theater as a kid. I was always drugged to rehearsals and and not drugged, but went to <laughs> yeah. rehearsals because I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a very vast theater uh, background and um, I wanted to work in theater. But I at the time, there was not the kind of jobs that would um, pay my bills sure. <laughs> in theater. And so... I decided that I would volunteer for 
any place that I could um, in the arts. And so I volunteered for theaters. I volunteered for the California Arts Council for museums. And I just I just volunteered Mm -hmm. and kind of getting my feet wet and seeing what's going on in the Sacramento region in that scene. And I was new to Sacramento. Uh, I came to Sac State. um, Originally, I was from the the East Bay area. And um, so when I graduated from high school, my parents moved up into the foothills and I started going to school at Sac State. So anyway, I was new to the area, wanted to learn all about it. Um, one of my, the people I volunteered for uh, took a job at the Sacramento Zoo. She was the first nonprofit employee. Now, the Sacramento mm-hmm. Zoo is a city owned, but it was managed by uh, or it had at that time a small nonprofit supportive arm that did fundraising. And she told me about a position and, and she said something very wise. She says, I know you're interested in theater, but I think what you will find is that in working in this environment, you will find the same qualities of a nonprofit, uh, civic minded, um, artistic minded. You will find those same qualities working at the zoo. And I thought she was kind of crazy, but it was intriguing. I mean, working at <laughs> sure. a zoo. So I got that job and I worked there for, I was there for 17 years and I probably would have stayed there, but I thought, you know, what what more would I like to do? And I um, then took I applied for a job with the California State Railroad Museum Foundation, and that was the nonprofit profit supporting arm for a state park. So now Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with a state park, the museum, the railroad museum, and it was a little bit um, different than dealing with the city. We weren't managing it. We weren't involved in the management of it. Uh, We were just a supporting arm. But we also had the um, productions of the Polar Express. That was brand new when I had started. They had already done it one year and I got involved in it. And the Polar Express is a mix of railroad and uh, um, storytelling Mm -hmm. and theater. It's it's just wow. it became I I loved it. It was extremely impactful on my life. I didn't have a Christmas for eight years <laughs> that Christmas. Holy cow! Yeah. But but it was a theatrical production, and that's how I took that's how I looked at it. Was great. Let's let's make this you know theatrical. And I worked with people that were very excited about that, and so yeah. um, I thoroughly enjoyed that. But I I also wanted to be more involved with the museum aspect. Aspect. Mm-hmm. And I really thought to myself, I'd like to run my own museum. But I knew I didn't want it to be a state park and I didn't want it to be a city museum. I wanted it yeah. to be completely independent of that. So um, I was selected as the executive director for the California Automobile Museum. Mm-hmm. And that was a true learning experience for a lot of reasons. Um, it was uh completely dependent on its programs its admissions its donations you know there was no city or county or state yeah. or federal support other than perhaps a grant here and there but it was really reliant on the volunteer base as was the polar express as was everywhere i worked the volunteer base is so crucial to the museum world so by now i'm at my third museum and i realize i'm at a 
I'm a museum person. I'm a yeah. museum administrator. I'm not a historian. And I used to argue about the 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 automobile museum with one of the docents who said this is a history museum. I said it's a it's really more than that. It's a cultural museum because car culture is such a um, entity unto itself. We're not just telling the history of the making of an automobile. We're talking about lifestyle and and um, different genres and how it affected transportation over the years and and how we all it's it's so American. It's mm -hmm. it's such a, an American story. So I loved being there, but I. I found it was it was challenging. It was it was a boot camp for being an executive director. It really yeah. was. And uh, the position opened up that at the Sacramento History Museum back in old Sacramento, and they were looking for their first for the nonprofit arm, their first executive director. Mm -hmm. They had not had an executive director. The executive director was a city employee prior to that, but they were the they were taking on more of the operation of the museum. So I applied for that. I love old Sacramento. I love the idea of coming back. I had worked with those people when I was at the Railroad Museum Foundation. So I was very familiar with the museum. And so um so I I came and yeah. I I became the executive director of the of the history museum. Um, my first two years, we closed for um, let's see, I think almost nine months for a construction project. My first uh -huh. year, we opened up for another nine months, and then we closed for a year, almost a year and a half for COVID. So I spent my first time there. First, within three years, I spent more time closing the museum than I did <laughs> opening. But um, it was at that time that we started doing some other things. We could talk about you know a little bit more. Sure. But that that's been my trajectory. So I don't when people say, oh, you know all about this history. I'm not a historian. I mm -hmm. have absorbed so much information. I have absorbed about um, uh, um, endangered species. I know mm -hmm. railroad history. I know, you know, Sacramento history. I, I, I know car culture. I've absorbed a lot of that. But I am in the business of making a museum the best place that it can be, and that is a place that is relevant to the people that are going, that we want to come to it. Yeah. Well, and, and in my mind too, it's like that role that you just described and the trajectory that you followed, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, in terms of promoting history. Even when I was a history teacher at a high school, I felt Maybe it's just my personality. I don't know. But I felt like I wanted to evangelize this subject as well. And just, you know, even if you don't study it as a academic course, there's an abundance there of stories, of information, of stuff that people – part of the reason I wanted to ask you that question was everybody finds their way to history differently, it seems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everybody loves history. I had a conversation with a woman here in Old Sacramento. She was – uh, she had just started working at uh, one of the local restaurants. She had only been there a few months just start, and just new to Sacramento. And I said, well, mm -hmm. you should come down to the History Museum, learn a little bit about, you know, the city. And she said, oh, I, I don't like history. I said, well, that's not true. Mm -hmm. You do like history. Everybody mm -hmm. likes history. You just haven't been engaging with it in a way that has been interesting to you. And um, hopefully that's something that we can offer. But that that's kind of the I, I, I think everybody if you if you look at 
what we're doing with our our finding your roots and um uh, just all of these connections of 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 ancestry and you know of uh, that has grown over the years everybody loves history everybody wants to know as soon as something happens they call up and say you know what what happened back in the day when that was you know when yeah. it happened what was how would it compare with the spanish flu when the flood when the river was rising how does that compare for 1850 you know they're always looking for um some kind of historical reference people i believe love history yeah. it's just how they engage with it and unfortunately and i'm sure you were a wonderful teacher. Yeah. Unfortunately, in our schools, I don't think we learn our two things. We don't learn enough about our local history, mm -hmm. our our town, our block, our neighborhood. We don't learn enough about that in school. And we we just aren't introduced to, to history in a way that is as captivating. Um, I remember in high school thinking, I love history, but I'm not getting anything from this. And yeah. so I did take a lot of history courses in in um, college, but um, I, it's it's something that I think everybody there everybody is involved in. Nobody doesn't yeah. like history, in my opinion. Yeah. Or, well, his, and history is so big. Right. So there's a lot of. Uh, subdomains sub areas and and I wanted to ask as a follow up do you feel yourself pulled either professionally or personally to any specific aspect is it you know american any it could be a time period it could be uh you know another uh, aspect of it do you feel pulled to anything in particular like that like i was a military history when i was a kid you know i i was pulled to that aspect of it do you have anything like that um, yeah, I was, I was personally, I was always fascinated with the thirties, um, forties and uh, pre-World War II and post-World War II, that, that, yeah. whole, that whole genre of time. But that's personally, professionally, that's an interesting question because that is sort of the um, uh, dilemma or the uh, existential question that we're asking about this museum. This museum was built in 1985, the Sacramento History Museum, built in 1985. It's a part of the historic district in old Sacramento waterfront. And it was meant to be a showcase for the collections that the uh, city, county had, their, mm -hmm. their archives and, and collections. And at the time that it opened, I remember coming real early on, it, it reflected the many communities that we had as well. Over the years, um, it's gone through all kinds of transition. It was merged with the um, Science Center, and then it was separated wow. from the Science Center. And, and then it was looked at that it should only reflect the gold rush era. And um, this is something that I've been struggling with because uh, the gold rush era is important and it's, but it's really the gold rush. And then what mm -hmm. it's the gold rush and, um, who it, who was impacted by it, how it shaped this city, how it shaped the region, the people, the diversity, how it's made us who we are today. You can almost always take back to that, that gold rush, both the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, the gold rush is very important, but we also want to talk about things that are relevant 
to the people who are here today. An example of that would be our newest exhibit, which is um, Boulevard Dreams, Sacramento. It's the story of the culture of low riding in the Sacramento region. And we, we're we not a car museum, so we don't mm-hmm. have cars, but we have the clubs. There's over 40 clubs. We have the memorabilia, um, the struggles that they had in being pushed into different areas of Sacramento, the ban on cruising that was just a discriminatory piece of legislation to mm-hmm. keep a group of people from doing uh, a certain thing they didn't like. And the, the, the thought that they're, you know, it's gang related, all, all of these things when in reality, it's very much a family oriented, but to bring that into this museum is not only surprising for the visitor, it's surprising for that low rider culture to feel that, wow, we have our story in a museum structure. Mm-hmm. And, and it suddenly occurred to me, who wouldn't want their story in a museum environment for people to see? And, yeah. and we look at history as being the history that happens 10 minutes ago, as well as, you know, 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. I'm I'm excited. I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my list to come visit you guys over there at the museum and check out that exhibit. Uh, you know, because it is, as you said, it's it can be a give and take. I think history in its best is a give and take um, between the community that's being showcased and and the people doing the showcasing. You know, mm-hmm. of the community. So, yeah, no, excited to check that out. And um, and we'll also add uh, information in the show notes of this episode. We'll have all sorts of links and information and things like that to uh, everything you guys have going on over there. You know, I think uh, as as executive director, obviously, you're involved in, you know, a big chunk, if not everything that goes on at the museum. Are there aspects of your kind of day to day, week to week work that you feel uh, that you enjoy more, you know, I know you guys have a staff over there. So maybe it's the collection of people that you're working with. Is there anything you're pulled to from your kind of week to week work that you enjoy more? I thoroughly enjoy the people I work with. Um, they are young, educated, um, and really hungry to do something that's important and relevant and um and that people will be excited about and and i i love i i i love our team and and i i have to go back to um pre-covid mm-hmm. when we were forced to close um many places not just museums but businesses and such had layoffs and uh our board of directors saw my my recommendation, but they saw the value in, we have to keep these people. And Mm -hmm. we don't know how long it's going to be, but we have some reserves. We'll start with that. We'll apply for PPP loans. We will keep our people on hand. So throughout that timeframe, we kept everybody and Mm -hmm. didn't lose anybody um, that was one of our permanent employees. We had tour guides that were seasonal. They worked you know, once or twice a month, maybe sometimes. So we didn't we didn't have our seasonal employees, but we kept our our core team. And um, I think the the most exciting time was during that COVID in a lot of ways because we I, I asked them, okay, we're we're here, we're we're at home, but we're, yeah. we're 
We're going to do something. What can we do? And I said that the most important thing to me is I don't want us to be forgotten in this. God knows how long this is going to take. Mm -hmm. And so one of the staff members started talking about, um, well, we realized we needed to work on social media. That's where we could go. So we had some videos in the can that had been never really viewed, but were really um, very well produced that were telling about old Sacramento. And it was ironic because when people were in Sacramento, we had QR codes around. They could learn more about the building and such. Nobody was interested. But suddenly when they were not able to go to Old Sacramento, um, people were interested. So we we gathered this following. And then one of the staff members, Jared Jones, he said, you know, I, I've been playing around on TikTok and I'd like to try something. And uh, when our volunteer who ran our printing shop came, was able to come back and we were doing virtual school programs. So he was able to come into the museum. We started, Jared started doing videos with him and we have just um, blown all of us away yeah. with where we're at now. And, and I know you know some of those numbers, but we have uh, 2.6 million uh, TikTok followers. And we then parlayed that into YouTube. We have over 2 million subscribers on YouTube. We're reaching people all over the world. There are people that are sending us things, sending us money. Um, we are uh, just constantly amazed at the reach that we have created. Now, that in of itself is exciting and, you know, and wonderful. But what I'm excited about is that we took it on ourselves. I gave the staff a, the room to try something and to mm -hmm. experiment. And this is the result of it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so wonderful to try something completely brand new and have such a great success. But um, it's also in credit to this wonderful group of people. I just love working with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's an amazing, I, I remember some of those numbers and I, I would have to think that, you know, a social media presence like that would be, that would rival other museums in California that might surpass other museums in California, if not the nation, it, with a with a following like that. I'm not familiar with the numbers of other museums, of course, but um, I, we, I we are the we are the most followed museum in the world. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. That's God, talk about a but feather in simply, the cap. Yeah, that's simply by virtue of the fact that so many people, so many museums, did not venture into TikTok. Mm -hmm. It was seemed to be as as our volunteer when he said when he went and looked at TikTok and said, "I'm not dancing." <laughs> You're not giving dancing. And and we said, "No, no, no, we're not going to do that." Um, there was a museum, a history museum in England that we were the Black Country Museum that we were following that were doing mm -hmm. some things on TikTok and and that kind of that was one of the um you know the impetus of of trying something like that but a lot of museums weren't trying it so Jared has been he has spoken to conferences he's been um uh spoken to TikTok uh, a TikTok conference they called wow. Flew him in, plus museum conferences to talk about how nonprofits can use TikTok in a way that is um, uh, not only, well, the financial part of it is tricky, but it is um, a way of reaching an audience that, you know, we don't, we don't typically reach. Yeah. Well, and if there's a, a lasting lesson that I remember from my history studies, it's it's the organizations that leverage technology successfully. Those are the ones that have done the best. You know, when you look at the past and you look at, you know, times change. But uh, 
you know, and that's always the uh, the challenge organizations face. But it sounds like you guys. Hit, well, that's that, you know that the, the what what was the key word in in during COVID pivot. Yeah, um, that's you know right. that that ability to pivot has been. Um, something that I valued as a soft skill of uh, being flexible, being um, open to new ideas and innovative and being willing to fail. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. We have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, what more could we lose than the fact that we can't open our doors? So, yeah. so we really, um, it, it, we, you know, why not try it? Why not? Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we could easily be a, uh have already talked about this, but something I was curious about. So you you have a, a career at the automobile museum at the railroad museum. Now you know now being at the Sacramento uh history museum, is there anything from that track record, a particular milestone? And this could could very well be it, what you what you just mentioned about the expansion into social media, but is there any other my major milestones where you felt really connected to your work, you know, or or it's something that you're really proud of, either at the Sacramento History Museum or some of the other positions that you've held. I, you know, I think at each place I had I had things that you know that were just I was wonderfully proud of. Um, at the zoo, we um, I loved I I was also uh, as a as a child and teenager, uh, a ballet dancer, and I loved ballet. And and I wanted to bring that into the zoo. And so we created something, a partnership with the ballet. We called it Dance in the Wild. Mm-hmm. And we brought out a stage and we performed um, outdoors and, and brought people in to kind of connect them with ballet. And the dancers loved it. We loved it. It was one of my, it was one of my more proudest moments. And, and one thing about it that was really really um stuck with me for will stuck, stick with me forever is mm-hmm. the friday after uh 9/11 we were scheduled to have dance in the wild and we spent the well first of all half of our staff uh, our management staff actually all of our management staff was at a conference they were not able to fly back. They had they wow. were in in Florida, so there were a few of us that were mid level management that had to make some decisions. And one of them was, are we going to open the zoo again and have um, you know have dance in the wild? Mm-hmm. And it still it still chokes me up. We we decided to go forward with it, and when we did, we had just a flood of people come to it, and they over and over people would say this was the first time they left the house and you know this is the first time they stopped watching tv because at that time we were all just glued to our tvs Mm -hmm. and um they just appreciated just being able to get out and look at something beautiful you know Mm -hmm. outside in the in the air and stuff so that that was a really that was something that i was very proud of at at the zoo um at the automobile museum, you know, one of the things that that happened on my watch, it certainly was started by the the previous director, but was getting the new roof on the building. We mm-hmm. when I started there, we put out seventy five buckets um, to catch water when it rained. Oh my goodness! Oh my gosh! It was, it was just awful. We'd move cars around, we'd cover things up when it when it would rain bad, and it, and it got worse every year. And so we we raised the money to to fix the roof, and then we also negotiated at that time to have the city give us that building, and that was that was a big deal. And, mm-hmm. and I was I was very proud of that. And of course, running the Polar Express um, was. Um, 
you know, everybody <laughs> loved the Polar Express. And, and so it was um, this great theatrical production and working with the, the hundreds of volunteers that helped put it on and, um, you know, just giving this joy to people and their kids and families and stuff. That was, that was a, that was very, that was a big deal. So those are good ones. Those are all really good ones. I have a soft spot for the Polar Express. I grew up with that, uh, Every Christmas, the book would come out, and it came with a little bell, and you didn't yeah. want to didn't want to lose the bell. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, wow! Well, thank you for that. And um, although I I believe I was in maybe third grade at the September 11th attacks, I would imagine that uh, most communities would appreciate a sense of normalcy and seeing something beautiful, like you said, yeah. um, when they turn on their televisions and they see so much devastation. You know. Yeah, it was it was a it was a strange time as a as a you know as an adult. Um, it, it, we were literally glued to our TVs, and yeah. and you just didn't. It, it was just there was such a somberness about that, and mm -hmm. I, I think it was on a Tuesday. I believe it was on a Tuesday, and and so by Friday, you know, it was still still very obviously very fresh, and was going to be for for months and and years even, but. Um, yeah, people people said that over and over, and it and it just really struck me that, wow, I'm so glad we decided to to move forward with this because we thought at first we thought, well, if we do it, will anybody come? Yeah, as because of the way people were were reacting, and so um, yeah, that was that was a that was a cool. Wow. One. Well, taking a kind of speaking of pivoting, uh, moving from looking at the past in your career and taking a look at what's happening at the History Museum nowadays, you already mentioned one. You mentioned Boulevard Dreams, which is very exciting and 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 really excited to check that out. Um, anything else as we move into kind of the holidays and the end of 2023, anything else the History Museum has uh, going on? I feel like you guys, uh, you, have a, you seem to always have a packed calendar, it seems. So anything else? Um, well, the living history is um, is going to do some, you know, some um, uh, Victorian Christmas, some Victorian American Christmas, not Victorian as in England. Mm -hmm. um, just some festivities we have. We have. So in addition to the museum, we have our tour programs and we have a volunteer group called Sacramento Living History. And uh, back in the day, they were responsible for gold rush days and other things like that. And um, they have, we've been struggling with, with the whole living history concept. Um, and, and that's a nationwide. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot a little bit sure. in my response. Um, as a museum, Everybody, well, everybody, you know, when we closed for COVID, that's not the only thing that was happening. And the murder of George Floyd was a um, watershed moment. Mm -hmm. And in the museum world, we had been talking for years, years about diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, belonging, all of those things. But very few were taking any action. Mm -hmm. And with that, 
as in the 1960s, where, you know, everything kind of came to a head um, with um, not only was it um, there was protests about uh, about war, there was there was uh, women's rights and civil rights and gay rights and um, Native American rights. I mean, there was all that was a kind of a, a, a you know, a cosmic moment of. Yeah reckoning and i really felt like it felt like to me as as to many others that that this was a moment of reckoning what are you doing about this and people were being called on the carpet and museums were being looked at for what are you what are you displaying in your collections where did you get them who mm-hmm. owned them prior to you why do you have them and um and what collections or what stories aren't you telling who have you not included and unfortunately many history museums have a um a very predominantly white um uh, upper class leaning of 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 history stories mm-hmm. not you know, because that is what has, you know, been collected. Mm-hmm. And um, so museums were asked, art museums, you know, why don't you have more African-American artists? Why aren't you collecting these things? Um, history museums were asked, you know, what stories are you not telling here? And um, so so as a museum, as we were, you know, doing our thing with with social media and stuff, uh, we also started to look at what what kind of museum should we be in Sacramento? If we're the Sacramento History Museum, are we that or are we a gold rush museum? Mm-hmm. And if we are the Sacramento History Museum, why aren't we telling stories of what has been called the most diverse city in the country at several different times in the past you know, 20 years? Mm-hmm. Why are we not telling all these other stories as well? And um that's a big bite to take yeah. you know but that is the shift that we are we are we are going on and that is to to allow the community to be the curator mm-hmm. and welcome them into the museum to tell their stories about themselves mm-hmm. rather than relying on us to tell their stories a prime example is the Native American community. Now, we always had a, you know, a Native California um, exhibit. And usually those exhibit consists of baskets that are, you know, made hundreds of years ago or and and they show those weaving and they're very they're very somber. And but there are still kids that come out of school that don't realize Indians still exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so we realized we needed to redo that this whole this whole story. And we partnered with the Shingle Spring Band of Miwok Indians to curate the exhibit and tell the story that they want to tell rather than us dictating to them. Mm-hmm. So um the the Sacramento area is is the ancestral homeland of the Nisanan. Um the Nisanan have a very interesting story of um of uh, being a part of also Miwok and uh, Patwin and, you know, as part of the movement in in California. And California has a um, 
has a history with the Native American community that is actually horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not something that we really learn about in schools. Uh, we learn about, I think, the Plains Indians um, and the movement and the pushing and, and, and yes, some massacres. Yeah. But here in California, when we had so many people coming to California at, at such a short period of time, um, they, 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 they decimated the, the Native communities, um, literally. Um, yeah. There was genocide, um, displacement, uh, everything and above that we don't hear about. So, mm-hmm. so what did they want to tell? Did they want to tell that story? They wanted to focus on the fact that we are reclaiming our culture we are alive, thriving, and um, we are here. And this land that you are, are a part of is our land. And and um, but we want to show what we're doing today. So everything in the exhibit is brand new. It was made in the last couple of years using the skills, the materials, and the traditions of their ancestors to show regalia. Um, uh, tools, games, um, you know, baskets, yes, but but they were all made currently, and they wanted to really express that we are here, mm-hmm. we are alive, and this is this is our land, mm-hmm. and so that so by giving them that opportunity, that made for such a more rich story yeah. about about the native community and that's just one that's just one tribe um california had had just uh i i, I don't i'm unfortunately i don't know how many tribes it was it was yeah. one the single state had more tribes i think than most of the country yeah. altogether and so that's just one tribe telling their story. But by allowing, not allowing, and excuse me, that's the wrong word, by welcoming them into the museum to tell their story, that's the difference that we're, we at the Sacramento History Museum are going about. That next step was the lowrider. We welcomed them in to tell their story of their history, their culture, mm-hmm. and, and not try to dictate, but rather give them the space in, you know, in a museum setting. So for right now, um, you know, coming towards the end of the year, what do we have going on? Not, not, a, not a whole lot of new. We have ghost tours. They sell out right away. So yeah. they're they're really fun. Um, we do paranormal. We do some things that are, um, you know, not not maybe directly uh, his, history related. History paranormal. adjacent. Yeah, they're history adjacent. Thank you. Um, But they are but they're engaging. And in my opinion, Mm -hmm. if you can open a door for again, everybody loves history, they just have to find the right entrance to it. Mm -hmm. And so if you can use paranormal to open the door and tell them a few stories about the the inhabitants here beforehand, or, or, you know, with ghost tours, or or with some of the other things that we do. So, um, so we do that history adjacent, you know, programming, and uh, we're gearing up for the school season. Our school mm-hmm. season has just exploded um, with with school children uh, coming to the museum. And um, then we have some 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 touring exhibits coming. The next one will be in February, and that's called Tattooed and Tenacious. And it's uh, tattooed Victorian women, including Native uh, Native women, mm-hmm. and why and what what um, it was. It was kind of a popular 
a popular way to be radical and to mm-hmm. um, break the chains of the Victorian um, lifestyle for women that were, yeah. this was a way to secretly, you know, rebel. And um, what we want to do, though, is we want to reach out to our current very large uh, inking community and and get stories of women um, artists and women who to use tattooing to tell a story, whether it's yeah. a life or of, of you know something that is significant to them. So that's that's one thing that's coming up. That'll be in 2024. Yeah. No. And there are whenever I go down there to Old Sacramento, I always see things put up around Old Sacramento promoting the amazing things you guys are doing there. So uh, very excited for any listeners that haven't done some of these tours. Definitely encourage you to do so. And I do want to be respectful about time. I know we're approaching the hour mark, but I had to ask going a little bit off script. I've been, I'd say in the last maybe 10 months, I've been hearing through a few different media sources about this. And I think it's at the international level, this process of, and I believe the term is repatriation of artifacts, um, specifically from colonial nations that have a history of colonialism and that have acquired all of these artifacts, move them to uh, museums in the uh, colonial country or in the mother country, whatever the correct term is. Yeah. But now, now the the nations who those artifacts belong to are are receiving them back in some instances, and the conversation is is going. And I think it's maybe only been the last. Uh, I mean, it's been happening probably before that. It's, it's bubbled up greatly since. Okay. Yeah, since it's been part of the reckoning. Um, uh, certainly, it's bubbled up even more. So I, I think. And and I don't I don't have a real strong um, background in this, but uh, initially art uh, that was uh, confiscated by the Nazis that were returned to to uh, uh, Jewish families and and such is is was one start of it. And then the um, the having human re- remains and especially having Native American um, uh, uh, artifacts and yeah. those those kinds of things are are being um discussed to a to a great degree what you're talking about you know repatriation to um colonized countries um that that is too all all part of the mix now we at the Sacramento History Museum are not a collecting museum mm-hmm. so we don't we don't get involved in that to a great degree because we are not collecting anything um the city and county collection center the center for sacramento history is the is the holder of of those kinds of things okay. but as i said in the very beginning what part of the reckoning is people um museums looking at their collections and having to look at how those were uh, acquired an example locally would be during the 1960s when the west end was was demolished for um uh redevelopment mm-hmm. the capitol mall was developed uh, old sacramento was kind of saved but also you know made into the you know revived into a historic district but the whole west end had your minority um uh communities uh, black hispanic um uh, Asian, Chinese, Japanese, you know, you had this great uh, uh, in, in, 
international um, group of people that lived in Sacramento that were displaced. Mm -hmm. So when those buildings were displaced or tore down or, or sometimes signs and things like that were acquired during that time without the knowledge of the um, perhaps of the owners or so that's that's kind of an example. Do we look at this and say, you know, give it back or do we talk to them about it? What can we do? What if we preserve it for you? When I say we, the you know, the collections part of it. So mm-hmm. um, that is a really big issue. And especially with the Native American community, um, we don't we don't get too involved because we are we don't collect. And yeah. um, that's a that's a whole it's in a whole nother area of yeah. of change in the museum world. Yeah, and I I had a fear. That's the only reason I wanted to bring it up is I had a feeling it was on on your radar. I and I but I think most of it, the examples I heard of, I believe, were um, uh, museums in England that were moving items back to um, other countries. That yeah, but no, but that's that's part of the reason why I find these insights so interesting is that for the subject being history there sure is a lot of stuff in the present that you know that is being considered and discussed and debated and yeah yeah all those things it's 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 a part of us It, it you know every time we we look and we compare and we try to um compare and contrast is it the same as as it was i um you know i love the um the author doris uh Doris, I always get it confused. Doris Kearns Goodwin, Doris yeah. Goodwin Kearns, when she would when she would speak um, on on when she would be brought in on shows, mm-hmm. and they talk always election time, you know, and mm-hmm. they talk about um, what's happening and all oh, the brutality and all the you know and and how the uh, the ugliness and and she would take and she would say, well, you know. Back during this particular uh, election campaign, you know, this and this happened. And and, it, it, you know, she she would always bring that perspective that you don't really think you need to know. But once you knew it, it was like, OK, well, this is kind of all right. This isn't maybe as new as we thought it was or as different as we thought it was. And, and I always loved bringing that perspective into what's something that's happening right today, you know, that we think is only current events. But if we take a historical perspective of it, you know, we have a, we can, we can look at it a little bit differently. Yes. And I think that is a, a great note to end on, you know, <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, last, last question for folks, for listeners that want to learn more about the history museum. Um, what platforms and channels are you guys on? I know you mentioned TikTok already. How can people, uh, encounter more of the content you guys are putting out or the uh, or just learn more about the museum? Uh, well, our, our website is sachhistorymuseum.org. Mm-hmm. We are at Sac History Museum on um, TikTok, um, Facebook, and our YouTube channel is really filled with all kinds of a lot of the things that um, we see on TikTok and, and such we take over to to YouTube as well. So there's a lot of content there. We we spent some time going out into neighborhoods and talking about uh, how they became named the name they are. Um, we do a lot of this day in history and uh, just and and some fun things too. And so a lot can be found on YouTube, and uh, that's kind of become the the more general place for people to say, "I don't do Facebook, I don't do TikTok." But most people, you know, 
trip over YouTube. They do. So. <laughs> spend maybe spend too much time on it, like yeah. I do. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Delta, thank you so much. Uh, Executive Director at the Sacramento History Museum. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Sacramento Historical Society's The American Attic. If you'd like to learn more about the Society and upcoming speaker series, please visit sachistoricalsociety.org. If you have ideas for topics and speakers we can engage, drop us a line at admin at sachistoricalsociety.org. See you next time.